want to welcome you into another special episode of the Dream Create Enjoy podcast. In this episode, we're going to continue our conversation series as we talk about the racial tension that exists in our country and some of the things the church can begin to do to lean into that and not just be comfortable or complacent. In this episode, we're going to have a special interview with Dyshawn Mills. He's a minister at Grace Community Church, actually in Waltham, in our neighborhood, become a good friend of mine. And he's going to do an incredible job, not only sharing his story, but to talk about how the church can look beyond just racial reconciliation and to begin to understand racial equity and what that means for how we engage this very uncomfortable conversation in new ways. I think you're going to be blessed by listening to this episode. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. I want to invite you into the next part in this ongoing conversation series that we're having at Renaissance, where we are trying to just talk more about um, kind of some of the racial tension that's happened and uh, especially that's been kind of reawakened in the, you know, you know, the United States imagination in these recent weeks and have been trying to lift up um, voices that can really help us learn and listen, lament, and also pursue action. And so I'm really excited. We've had some, some great ones. We've had some great feedback from those in our community and then others just even checking, checking it out. But I'm excited uh, to invite in uh, my buddy Daishan. Um, and he's actually from Waltham or doing ministry in Waltham, I should say. So he's here locally, which is awesome. Um, he's a part of leading Grace Christian Church. Um, here again in Waltham. And so have we been dialoguing in recent weeks just about some of this and how um, just church leaders in our city t- can come together? I said, you know what, I think, I think our community needs to hear your voice. And so excited to hear from him. And before I give any more of an introduction, I've got to first say, man, you by far win for the best background of anyone we've interviewed so far. Thank you, Drew. It takes a lot of hard work, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty you know, awesome. My, my background game is pretty tight. I've been working at it for a while. <laughs> you know what? I need to work on mine. As many times as I've been on Zoom, he's in my lame clock and, uh, you know, yeah, the, the lampshade's sh- lamp crooked. Yeah, I need to work on this. <laughs> so, well, hey, Daishan, why don't you just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you, your family, uh, and then just why don't you give us a little version of your story so we can get to know you better. Sure, sure. I'll, I'll try to keep it brief and keep it to the points that are most relevant for this conversation. Um, God's blessed me to have a wife and two wonderful children, Serena and Cairo. They are, um, Serena just graduated from high school, which is amazing, and Cairo is 17. And my wife, Africa, and I have been married for 23 years, going on 24 in a little bit. So um, we're, we're very blessed. We um, have been serving in ministry in Waltham for about six years. Prior to that, um, going way back, I grew up in New Jersey and I grew up with a lot of racism. And um, when I got old enough to go away to college, I wanted to spend some time learning about why um, I was treated the way I was treated. Why did I, why was I despised for the skin I was in? So I studied sociology and African-American studies, and I, I got some answers. God blessed me with answers, but it's not the answers I expected. And for about a year, I was depressed after graduating from school because the problem 
of race seemed so big to me at the time. Um, thankfully, as I walked more and more with God, my God became bigger. <laughs> and and, and I, I got to understand who God is more and more. And so um, I don't feel like I did when I first graduated about race. Um, but so I've been having conversations about it. Um, I came up in the world of education and um, I've been blessed to be able to um, be used by God to talk about race and to spark racial healing in small ways. And I'm looking for bigger ways to do that. Um, definitely in Waltham and beyond. Yeah. That's awesome. Why don't you also tell you guys as a church have been a part of kind of an initiative even here locally uh, with sure. the Kaleidoscope Festival and, and ministry. So why don't you describe that too? Yes. Yes. So we spend a time of discernment trying to figure out, God, what is our purpose as a church? And what he revealed to us is that we are a multicultural, multi-generational church, and that is our gift. And we need to share that. And so we started a festival, an annual festival called Kaleidoscope Festival that celebrates the differences and diversity in Waltham and also creates opportunities for us to speak across man-made barriers. We follow up the, the festival with other events throughout the year, but we're trying to create spaces where people can talk and generally get to know each other. Um, they can experience the kingdom um, because the vision we have of heaven is every nation, every tribe, every language worshiping God together. And so as it is in heaven, so shall it be in earth. on earth. So we're trying to, create a festival where that is true, where we come together and learn about each other and, and can celebrate our differences. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for, for sharing. And hopefully like, I think we've already been having conversation about how we're hoping Renaissance can be a part of that in the future and, and champion something beautiful that you guys are, are after. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'd love that. Well, why don't you, you know, you kind of breeze through it really quickly. I, I would be fascinated. Why don't you describe for us, Again, maybe some of what you did experience, what drove you to, to you know, you kind of glossed over and we're telling just an awesome, you know, very quick version of your story, but um, awesome for you to do that because we do have time limits. But uh, how do you, why don't you go back, touch on that a little bit more? What were you experiencing? And then what did you learn? You talked a lot about God teaching you some things that you weren't necessarily, you know, even excited to learn. Yeah. Uh, so why don't, why don't you, why don't we pause and why don't you talk a little bit more about that? Sure, sure. So I'll, I'll give it some context. So the, when the, the experience I had growing up was such that I was called the N-word for the first time when I was five. That's when I can recall sort of being um, forced into realizing there was such a thing called race. Um, and it, it, did, it wasn't sporadic. If there was a period of time where I wasn't if, if, I, if I went two weeks without being called a racial epithet, it was um, time for me to go buy a lottery ticket. I would not know how to process that because it was, it was constant. Microaggressions were constant. It was just part of my reality. And so, um, but God is good. He gave, he also balanced that. There were some white families that treated me like I was their own and still do. Um, and they yell at me about eating, even though I've clearly mastered that skill <laughs> but um uh, so god balanced that and uh, and i wanted to know okay what is actually going on here and what i learned about race um and because i wanted just like every 
college student. They want to come out of college and change the world. And what I learned about race was that it's not something that just happened. It was constructed, right? Uh, our, our, the, the concept of race was fabricated intentionally. Now, I'm not sure the folks that originally laid it down could have foreseen all that would come later, um, 400 plus years of it, but it, it was created. Whiteness was created. Blackness was created. These are things that don't have much meaning, um, right? There's no biological foundation for race. And so I'm learning all these things about how it was co constructed and also how it was embedded in every single system of our society. It's all been infected with it to the point where every man, woman, and child that spends any time in America gets infected with this disease. Um, some social scientists refer to it as racialization. The, the idea that there is something called race, that that thing called race matters, and that um, different races have different characteristics and, and competencies and abilities. And then taking that information and those beliefs and weaving them into our structures and our, and our systems and our laws. Um, so that is something that um, exists in America. And, and because of that, it gets transmitted. It gets transmitted. Every, every person gets infected with it. It keeps, it's like a virus that keeps going. And um, yeah, so when I got out of college, I was like, I don't, I'm not sure how to unravel that. Right? I'm not sure how we, we get past that. In the documentary 13th, I can't remember who said it, but they said racism is so deeply embedded in the fabric of America that when you try to combat racism, you get accused of being anti-American. Hmm. Right? And, and I, couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to do that. And I should say, too, that the racism I experienced growing up, that was in and outside the church. I had a pastor call me the N-word right? It, it was in and outside the church. Just because it's the church doesn't mean we're immune to it. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think the church really has to face the ways in which we have been infected by uh, racialization. So yeah, that, that's what was heavy on my heart when I graduated. And it took me some time to be able to process that and, and realize that, you know what, I, I serve a big God and God's not asking me to solve all the problems. He's he is the one that is going to redeem and restore humanity. He's asking me to participate and do my part and trust him in that and, and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so that's what I've been trying to do. Man. Yeah. A lot to unpack there. Uh, lots of uh, knowledge you're dropping on us. So I appreciate it. Um, following up with that, you know, as you're describing, you know, you, you are coming at this from a Jesus perspective. You know, you are a pastor. Um, so, you know, you talk about how overwhelmed, overwhelmed you were, and in some ways you've given this over to God, but at the same time, you know, it, we're not, we're not just praying it away. You know, there's kind of, there's prayer and advocacy, both can, can take place simultaneously. So maybe what would you say, what does that look, what does advocacy look like for you through the church? And maybe, you know, how, what do you, what would you call Christians, um, to do, to take part in this, you know, and to saying, Hey, we've, we've got to allow God to use us to change the narrative. Sure. I think the first thing Christians need to do is to have a very, or, or 
we don't, I don't know if we really have one in the evangelical church, but we need to develop a, a strong Christocentric social ethic. We need to have a social ethic with Christ at the center. And so where I draw my ethics from with regard to how to treat other people is Luke 10, the good story of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus defines neighbor for us. And it starts out by um, the, the young man that's talking to Jesus saying, well, who is my neighbor? Right. And then Jesus tells the story um, about the Good Samaritan. And, and we're probably familiar with that story. But then Jesus does something extraordinary at the end. He flips the question. He asked the man, which one of these was a neighbor to the one who needed it? Yeah. Right. So I can't say I can't go and give twenty five dollars to Black Lives Matter or or whatever, which is not a bad thing. You know, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. Right. But I can't do that and then say I'm being a neighbor because I can't define neighbor for myself. Hmm. I the, the person who is in need of one has to define neighbor for me. The other place where I draw ethics is Jesus's command for us to love each other. And, and what kind of love does God show for humanity? He's willing to sacrifice everything to make us good. His love um, is so complete that he came and died um, for us to make us all right. And so then when I hear from my, um, you know, white brothers and sisters, when I hear from my Latino brothers and sisters, when I hear from my Native American brothers and sisters, and they say to me, we're not good, right? We're not doing all right in a particular area. Then I have to do something to establish myself as neighbor, right? Because covenantal love that I have with them, the this unity that we have in Christ, this um, connection, this eternal connection that we have in Christ will not allow me to turn my back on their suffering. And, and that will not allow me to, to just blow it off. I have to do something in order to help make them good. And I can't stop until they're good. Right. My, me being okay determ is determined by my neighbor being okay. Um, so, that will cause us to think differently about the strategies that we employ. Um, I, I talk about this all the time where a lot of times in the church, our strategies don't line up with the problem, right? So I, I ask churches often like, what do churches typically do to combat homelessness? And usually the answer is, well, we give away coats, we give away food, you know, um, and all those things are good and we should not stop doing them. But we can't say we're addressing homelessness because the fundamental need of someone who is homeless is a home, right? Yep. And so I'm not saying that those things are bad to do and churches should stop doing them, but we have to start having real conversations to say, if we're trying to address homelessness, giving homeless people a coat is not actually ending homelessness, right? And, and, and we also have to confront the, the truth that by black people and white people getting to know each other better, that is a good thing, hmm. but that's not necessarily going to bring a uh, an end to racial inequity. Well, why, why don't you keep going? I don't, I don't want to yeah. cut you off. Why yeah, don't you no, walk no. that out then? So then 
because you know everything you just said i feel like i need to i feel like i'm in church right now i need to like stand <laughs> up and say it you got the stained glass behind you you're preaching i'm loving this it just adds more gravitas <laughs> to everything i'm saying i'm really pretty joking right now yeah uh, <laughs> so why don't you walk that out then if that if yes. it's more than just because and i would even say you know a bulk of of uh, our faith community is white and so yeah. you know i think many of them have been over, you know, overwhelmed. And I think in some senses, that's probably a good thing. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that that's been a starting place even of just saying, how do I have relationships and all that? But what, what is the steps further that you want to advocate and say for hey, for Christians, for brothers and sisters in Christ, it's more than just some, some, some hanging out. Yes. What does yes. true reconciliation look like? What, you know, what do you coach? You know, what's, what's, constantly happening in your church as you're you're talking through these issues sure sure there, there's a great book called divided by faith and i would highly recommend it one of the very important points that that book makes is that since the 1990s um evangelicals have been called the most active group with regard to racial reconciliation right from the promise keepers movement to a lot of other movements and mega churches have been trying to address the problem of racial reconciliation. Yet, during that same period, um, racial inequity has not decreased. In fact, um, there's many indicators that it's increasing. Um, racism does not perpetuate racial inequity. Right, so racial racist attitudes in our country are actually decreasing significantly, but racial inequity is at best staying the same, if not increasing. Hmm. So the church has to free itself from that false idea that one-on-one -on -one relationships are gonna dismantle racism. It's not gonna happen because racism is at a systemic level. Um, it's part of the infrastructure of this country that is used to benefit um, one group over another. And I'll, and I'll give you an example about how this plays out. So between me and you, Drew, um, white people and black people, um, I am three times more likely to be um, arrested for drugs than you are, right? Even though Black people account for much less of the population. I'm three times more likely than you. And then one would argue, well, maybe that's because I, black people use drugs to uh, a greater extent. That is not the case. Um, black people and white people use drugs at the same rate. And if anyone uses it more than the other, it's white folks that use it more than black folks. Yet, when people go looking for drug users, where do they go, right? They're, they're, not, they're not necessarily coming to Belmont. They're not coming to Newton, right? They're going to Roxbury, Dorchester, Mattapan to look for those drugs, even though the same drugs and are, in the, are in the same communities. So that's, an ex that's a tangible example about how um, systemic racism perpetuates itself, which is why, um, black people are so far, are so greatly overrepresented in prisons. Um, so we, as the church, I think need to start asking questions of our, of our legislative leaders and our neighbors that say, what are our, what are our policing practices and, and are those practices biased? 
right? We, we, we need to, and, and that needs to happen in every community, right? We need to ask these questions about whether or not what we're doing is biased. Um, very simply, you know, one thing that I ask my uh, white brothers and sisters to do is one, get educated um, and read some books, uh, not only about race, but just about history. So we can get better educated about how we got here. Um, again, these, everything that we experienced, these things were intentional. Suburbs were intentionally created. Um, the disadvantaged um, city neighborhoods were intentionally created. I mean, all of these things were intentional. So um, then the question becomes, okay, once we get educated, how can we um, elevate more voices? to the dialogue, how can we expose ourselves to more voices? What you're doing here is at absolutely fantastic. I mean, this is one of the ways how we get better, how we move forward. Um, but, you know, ask questions, do I free, ever frequent a black owned business? Do I, um, churches, do you play songs by artists that look different from you, right? Or, or, to what extent are you emphasizing the fact that we are all are one in Christ? and that um, God, his vision for humanity is um, diversity in unity. I mean, that is who he is. That's the organizing principle that he has for our all creation, a diversity in unity. All these different pieces that are distinct and wonderful, and they come together to make something even better. And so I, I think every church has to say, okay, how do we manifest that? How do we manifest heaven where we are? It doesn't matter if we live in a neighborhood that's mostly white, because it's not, there is, typically speaking, people of color are just two T-stops away, <laughs> just just a little ways away, and you, you can be connected with people that look different and, ha and that will give you a different experience. Um, and so then, and then the, the discussion is how do we work together with those folks to start to dismantle the systemic oppression in and around us. How do we do that? Um, but that's just generally speaking, um, some of the things that come to mind. No, yeah, so much good stuff. So uh, thank you. And yeah, the, you know, I can't, we've been recommending in all these interviews, different books and things to read. Divided by Faith was one of those books a few years ago when I read it that just uh, devastated me. I mean, it's yeah. not an easy book to read uh -uh. and it's so well studied. The statistics are there, the research is there. And uh, amazing. And I'm glad also that you're bringing out, you're talking about the, the diversity and unity. Um, you know, our, our, right now we're actually working through uh, the letter, uh, you know, Paul wrote to the, the church in Ephesus. And so in Ephesians 2, you know, just this last month, you know, we meet monthly, but we just uh, were covering the latter part of chapter 2, uh, where Paul's kind of um, combating ethnocentrism and, you know, talks about the dividing wall of hostility. Yes. And yeah. this beautiful, this, this beautiful conversation of uh, that we are one in Christ. And yet at the same time, you know, I think sometimes when people read that and we even had some pushback as we were having conversation about it with some of our micro churches of saying, well, this, this idea of unity, does that mean uniformity? Does that mean we lose our diversity? Does that mean we lose the beauty of our differences and just working through that? That's not necessary. That's not what Paul's saying. You know, uh, but we've now got an actual, you know, something that's common for all of us to build off of 
so that we can embrace each other's differences um, and hopefully begin to embody the new humanity uh, that we've been called to. Unfortunately, that hasn't, the church, like you were saying, hasn't been a very good um, embodiment of that. And in some ways in America, we're still catching up to Paul's theology 2000 years later. That's right. That's uh, right. Know, it's such a of, modern, Ephesians is such a modern book. Oh, <laughs> it yeah. just speaks so much to our times. Yeah, it does. It does. So thank you for all that. Well, I would love to, you know, maybe one last big question for you. Let's make this just really local and practical. Mm-hmm. What's your dream for Waltham? What's your dream for our part of the city? Like, you know, we're talking about us embodying this, this revelation seven, you know, uh, you know, every tongue, tribe and nation you're talking about, you know, living out Matthew six, Jesus's prayer, uh, the Lord's prayer. You know, as you're praying that, what comes to mind? What are the things like when you walk the streets, when you're meeting with your people, what's your dream for our city so that we could, we could actually look more like heaven? Yeah, yeah. Um, Waltham is a wonderful community, <laughs> excuse me, and a lot of people are doing wonderful things. And um, there's a lot of good work that happens in Waltham long before we got there. Um, so I, I do want to say that. But we also, Waltham is also a very segregated city. Um, there's a lot of diverse groups, but um, they're almost sequestered from each other. Like, um, yeah, I, I haven't experienced um, segregation to that extent um, as I have in Well, And I grew up, I grew up, you know, in Jersey and I also, you know, lived in Boston and lots of, lot of lots of segregated places. Um, but Waltham is, is kind of different in that. And in my heart and my prayer and, and what I'm, what we're seeking God for is for those walls to be broken down in real in authentic ways where we see um, kids that don't look anything like each other, just enjoying life together, right? Where we see um, people who, who look differently from each other, celebrating lots of different cultures and, and, and seeing that as part of who we are. I think that's, that's the biggest thing that um, Waltham would be proud of the diversity and say the diversity that I experienced has made me a better person, right? Hmm. Um, and of course, all of that with God at the center, where we um, celebrate the God who's who made us like this, where we we are different, and the same God who got so excited about trees, He made thousands and hundreds of different hundreds of different varieties and hundreds of different varieties of beetles. It's not from uh, that, that shows a, a, a God that is childlike and joyous. And I want us to be childlike and joyous when we see the diversity that we have um, in the body of Christ and in our community. That's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. So well, we'll just like uh, leave it there. And one of the things I've been asking for everybody, uh, would you just, what, would you just pray for us? Would you end on that? And pray for the things we've been talking about. I'd love to, you know, pray for our city and pray that it would look more like heaven than earth. And that, you know, to, to steal your guys's festival name that we would embrace <laughs> the, the kaleidoscope, uh, <laughs> you know, so to speak, this beautiful mosaic. Mm. God is a master designer and man, I, I love what you're saying. So would you just pray to end? Would you just pray over that and pray that that would become a reality? It'd be my pleasure. Thanks. 
Lord, we come to you, Lord, um, and we come to you with trust, with love, Lord God, and we come with you to you with a, a prayer on our hearts, Lord. We want to join with Jesus and pray that you would make us one as the Father and Jesus are one. And, and Lord, Jesus prayed that prayer on the night that he was betrayed. It's something that was dear to his heart. He, he wanted it desperately for us. He wanted us to be one. And, and we just talked about how Paul picked it up and he's, he's asking for the church in Ephesus to be one. And, and Lord, I pray for the church in Waltham and the church in the United States and the church in the world to be one, Lord God. And, and Lord, please remind us that the name of Jesus is above every name. Race seems so big, Lord God, but Jesus, you are above race. You are above prejudice. You are above the systems of, of inequity, Lord, that plague our society, Lord. You're greater than all of those things. And so you're the God that we look to. You're the one that we look to for help, Lord. We can't do anything on our own, but we can participate in the work that you're doing. Lord, we want to see revival in our community. We want to see the, the, the strongholds that separate us, the things that, the walls that divide us. We want to see those torn down, Lord God. And Lord, I, I pray for the, the community of Renaissance, Lord. I, I pray that they would be fired up to participate in the work that you're doing to make us one, Lord. And I pray that they would um, learn and, and hear from you and discern your heart, Lord God, and find the, the work that they're supposed to do to bring about the unity that Jesus prayed for, Lord. And I pray that our congregation would do the same, Lord, that we would see something incredible in Waltham that, that we have never seen before, that hearts would turn to you, Lord, and as a result, they would turn to each other, and we together will tear down these, these systems of inequity, Lord. Lord, I thank you in advance because I, I know um, you are doing something even in the, this midst while our country is, is having this racial reckoning, Lord God. You are there moving. And, and what we're experiencing is not good. Racism is not good. But you're a God who knows how to bring good out of bad things, Lord. And so I trust you, we trust you to do an amazing work out of this um, painful, painful period of our country and of our lives. We love you so much and we give you all the glory, Lord. In Jesus Christ's holy name, amen. Amen.